James, I find myself writing a lot of web apps lately, and I'm a little nervous that I've all of a sudden become a web developer. I thought you were a mobile developer, and I thought this was a mobile-only podcast, Frank. We're not allowed <laughs> to talk about web development at all. Not I think allowed. we've actually broken that rule already. I think we've talked about web development before, and we're going to do it again, sir, because I think we should talk about ASP.NET Core. I've been having a lot of fun with it. I think we should. You know why? Because mm. I've been doing a lot of ASP.NET Core development, too. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. What a coincidence. <laughs> Did we become web developers last week, or what happened? <laughs> no, I hope not. No, I'm still a mobile developer, but you can't help uh, but to have to write a website from time to time. It just yeah, so happens. W- so, well, I know why I'm creating a website, but why are you creating a website? Because for you, I know mostly 99% of everything I've ever seen from you has been a beautiful, gorgeous mobile app that just makes you <laughs> tons upon tons of money from the app store. <laughs> Uh, Thank you for the compliment, and I'm going to extend it and say uh, uh, they're beautiful because I actually spent time on them, and the reason you haven't seen web apps like that is because I haven't spent time on them. I just prefer Mm. to write mobile apps, you know. I promise you, if I made a website, it'd be gorgeous, James, beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I actually do enjoy the web, uh, just from a business and putting uh, food on the plate. I haven't figured out a good way to monetize websites, whereas selling apps is a lot easier, so I do that and I make nice apps so when I do write for the web it tends to just be marketing websites boring Mm. things yeah I think actually that's what I'm doing right now so if I kind of unfold the reasons why I'm creating a website well one I think it's actually an important skill set because often let's say you're a consultant or a contractor often a web just becomes a natural extension to whatever the mobile app is becoming and you Mm -hmm. can craft that that web experience to be as much or as little as possible. I think of a few different applications, like I use Robinhood a lot, which has an amazing app and they're eventually gonna come out with a web app, but they, they started <laughs> there, right? They still have a marketing yeah. page. They don't have a web app yet. They're gonna work on it and take a lot more time because there's other security models. But for me, <laughs> like I'm now creating a website because I want to create something that doesn't make sense to be a mobile app. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not yeah. everything makes sense to be a mobile app. So that's why I'm so, creating a website. When I come to that conclusion, for me, it's usually about distribution. Um, I mm. just want to make sure that this thing can be run by as many people as quickly as possible. So it tends to be something small and tight that um, is usually for free. Like I said, I have a terrible time monetizing the web. So for me, it's just like the quickest way to get out an app. But there's always been the downside. I, I never really want to write uh, run servers. I really don't want to pay for them. Mm. I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to think about them. So... Lots of reasons why I avoid the web. But I I do it, uh, especially lately, I was saying, uh, for lots of little reasons. I feel like I like to write little tools with a web UI now. And I just because it can run on a Mac, it can run on Windows, it can run on my phone, all that stuff. And so I tend to do that, like little apps. Yeah, because I think, yeah, so if I look at the the pros and cons of kind of what you're saying here, it sounds like It sounds like, well, the pro of creating a full application is that if you need hardware-specific stuff, then you can get access to Mm -hmm. it. But then also that the App Store creates an entire distribution channel that you don't have to worry about, but you do have to go through certification, right? And then worry about building (laughs) and deploying it. But then on the flip side, the website gives you this, and and web app gives you this kind of easy to deploy, get out there, Mm -hmm. 
in mass distribution, it works everywhere basically. Um, But you have to worry about where am I going to put this server? Where's it going to run? Do I have to buy a domain name? Is there, are there SSL certs? So there's that other (laughs) coin, the other side of the coin, right? That you're worrying about. Well, and we should say, and it's a whole different API. It's it's not what we're normally programming. We keep saying we're mobile developers. <laughs> Those mm-hmm. are the APIs I know best. Uh, I know I feel like I know WinForms best, and then Next iOS, and then maybe the Mac API. You know, these are the things I'm really good at programming. The web, I'm not so great at programming. And honestly, the web has gotten so complex now. When you say file new for an ASP.NET project, it's really big these days they throw in tons of stuff lots of i don't know templates and things that are templated code and it's a little (laughs) it just the world feels a little icky honestly coming from the native world it's it's really interesting actually i i agree i I, i've done very little web development um i've actually to be honest with you i've only really done the web api side of things which is not a website Mm. it's more of a service it's restful services it's still running on the web not the same you're correct um but you're right in fact when i I open up this when i open up this dotnet core asp.net you have empty web api web app mvc angular react js react Mm -hmm. js and redux enable docker support change authentication Mm -hmm. i don't know what i want to do it all sounds great though it all sounds amazing Yeah, and you better get to, like, Bower and config <laughs> files. And I remember, like, a, a innovation of Ruby on Rails was uh, convention over configuration because mm. it made your website so simple and everything was implied. As long as you followed this nice structure, everything worked. It looks like we've completely ditched those ideas and we are, like, 8 million configuration files. That's <laughs> the way to go. You need, you need at least 8 million, perhaps 9 million if something's not working. So it, it's, it's a little bit bad like that. But so that kept me away from it but i think the technology has actually matured quite a bit and the world's not quite that bad the the file new template is pretty ugly but it's easy to tear all that garbage out and get a really slim simple website going that's easy to deploy (laughs) i would say at this point the hardest part for me was wrapping my mind around the user interface i kind of i started to Mm -hmm. understand heather helped me a lot understand the mvc approach and then she Help me also realize, I think we've talked about this before, is I had this hard thing in my mind of, I don't understand where the code is running. And that really <laughs> confused me. Like, I Because in a mobile app, right, it's running in the app. But I'm like, where yeah, is the code? And like, it's it, the code is not running in the browser. The code is running back on the server. And it's like, I'm like, I don't understand how this is all possible. So I, I kind of now wrapped my head around, okay, the logic is running over there. And there's this kind of con- yeah. communication thing and whatever. Um, and, and I've kind of sidetracked the entire um, HTML uh, Redux, React, whatever. I'm just using mm. U- UI to create my user interface. We've talked oh, about this ha, before. Ha, ha. Um, okay, yeah. So we, we should talk about that. But I, I, I want to say another uh, problem I had was it, it is that client-server split in the web that mm. makes it particularly annoying to program for because if you want the user to take actions on a page. The old web 1.0 way was to just form submit and get a new page, click a button, form submit, get a new page. It was 
stupid, but at least it was simple and everyone could comprehend it. These days, users have a higher expectation of when I click a button, the UI should just kind of morph into what it should be next, and Mm -hmm. then it should act like a native app, basically. And getting that kind of native app feel to a web page is such a pain with something like MVC, because you end up writing APIs and JavaScript, and like you said, your code is running in five different places, and you don't really know where, so... yeah. Thus, I wrote we. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not a we episode, correct? That's what no, we, we already no, have that. No. Um, but no, I just want to throw it out there because um, it was important to me that we integrates with ASP.NET Core because I am building websites in ASP.NET Core. But when I want to do interactive parts of it, that interaction part was just so annoying that I ended up writing a whole new library to handle it for me. Yeah, and I should say how I'm using it. So it's quite interesting. And, and hopefully when I have the website all done, I can kind of do a retrospection of it, like even on the podcast, is I still have, I'm using full MVC. So I'm very kind of familiar with routing. So if I go to slash podcast, mm-hmm. then that's going to be in the podcast controller. I will say that there's a lot of magic that happens in ASP.NET Core. Like I didn't, I don't have anything special, mm-hmm. right? I just have a podcast controller and the routing automatic, automatically kind of knows. There's this kind of yeah. one-to-one. You can have like an index and an action and there's just magical stuff that happens, okay? Just by adding, doing, I guess, doing yeah. an iService collection of add MVC. So I'm using that. So what's kind of nice is since even though I'm using UI, I could use that for only one of my pages and use the rest of the stuff if I wanted to. Um, Mm -hmm. but this entire page is going to be mobile responsive, um, even with the (laughs) XAML. And what's been nice for me at least is that I'm using value converters. I'm using standard, just stuff that I know and love. Um, uh, it's, it's quite, it's quite easy for me to understand this, but it's also doing other stuff too. This is an entire blog aggregator system that iTunes is looking at and I'm pulling latest feeds in. So I'm actually doing relatively complex things to, Mm -hmm. for, it's not just a image on a website, right? So I've been finding it really easy to work with the MVC approach to it, but I'm not using the new way of building ASP.NET Core websites, but it sounds like you have been, and I would love to learn more about this. Yeah, actually, I'd, before we do that, just a quick rewind. I mean, you love view models in native mobile development. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a view model person, but you, you didn't love the MVC view models? You, you weren't digging them? Um, I just probably didn't really learn how to use them correctly. So okay. um, so here's what <laughs> okay. happened is you gave me... We'll give them another chance. <laughs> you gave me an out, okay, Frank? Because yeah, you enabled right. me to do data binding in a view model, and then you also just gave me a mm-hmm. way of just having code behind in my page. So yeah. I just do stuff <laughs> in the code behind and that seems good for me. Yeah. I just tried to make the web sane. So other people have also wanted to try to make the web a little more sane. And I think what happened is we're, we're actually kind of going back to the past. Well, we have this new technology called Razor Pages mm-hmm. and that is taking the templating engine from NVC, which was called Razor, and just saying, you know what, after all, Let's go back to the PHP way. Let's go back to the original ASP way and just write the whole website using these templates. And I'm kind of making fun here, but at the same time, it's kind of genius. If you've never used Razor, it's one of the greatest HTML templating engines out there. It's kind of brilliant uh, how terse you can be when mixing code and actual HTML. It's quite brilliant, its design. 
And then on top of it, we're back to wonderful, wonderful PHP, where we're just super fast editing a website and not worrying about view models and controllers and all that garbage. You're just editing some template stuff. Love it. Yeah, so Razor, so Razor, from what I remember, is essentially this CS HTML. It's kind of like a hybrid between there's a bunch mm-hmm. of HTML, but then a bunch of C sharp conglomerated into it, like combined into this <laughs> yep. thing. And then you still have controllers and you still have other stuff. So what are why do Razor? What are why are Razor pages different than Razor? Uh, well, think of Razor as um, just a templating system, I guess. Okay. Uh, here's some text. Here's some variables. Output some text and some variables. Razor Pages is building up more of a web framework around that very simple concept, but not trying to introduce any more complex concepts. So if you do actually want to do code behind, which is completely unnecessary <laughs> because you can just put that right into the template itself, but let's say you're a code behind kind of person, you can create your own page class with the same name as the CHTML, and that's where you can do fancy things. Like if you wanted to create an API. That's where you can override the get method and return JSON instead or something like that. And so Razor Pages is just building up a very light, small, um, but sufficient um, web API, web, <laughs> web framework, whatever you want to call it, something that's fully capable of running a website. So you don't need any MVC stuff. It can just be Razor Pages by themselves. Ah, that's what it is. So yeah, I'm kind of looking here at the getting started, which it gives a very good example of there's literally a using statement of this page and you just say at model.message and in the code behind there is a public mm-hmm. string with a getter and setter that is message and then there's yeah. some methods like on get which would in- you do stuff on and you can add different things essentially and there's kind of this routing framework automatically so there well, seems to that's be that's a cool part yeah there seems to be a one-to-one mapping of hey, this is the this the CSHTML razor, and then here's literally the code behind where you can mash things together. Yeah, and that code behind, the nice thing, again, is it's completely optional. You don't even need the file. Mm. You can just delete it because most things don't really need that, to be honest. And then they have a... You're talking about magic before. They have a very magical routing system where the names of the files and directory names... Um, get chained together and extra arguments get passed as parameters and it's very strange but very powerful and strange and powerful (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i like it i like it because um it's such a refined idea of here is an awesome templating language and let's just make it easy to build websites with that with no other overhead it's very unopinionated it's like good luck have fun make a website kind of like back to the basics because i think the hardest part like Mm -hmm. you said is if I go file new project inside of Visual Studio, oh, it's just like there's all of this stuff. There's a lot of romancing. And, and like that's good because there are really advanced web developers that are like, I want React and I want Redux and I, or I want Angular. And to mm-hmm. me, I'm developer James and I'm like, I, I don't I've heard of those right. and I don't want to I don't <laughs> want to do that. You know, I want to just. Make Here's a what I know. I know HTML. I know HTML. I know images. I know how to put a server up. That's what I want mm-hmm. to do, people. This is you know. Let's keep it simple. <laughs> so, so would you say like, was this your first Razor Pages project, and like, was it super successful, or like, mm-hmm. what happened? Yeah, totes. Well, I mean, if you're not including original ASP, 
which let's be honest, that's what this is all coming back to is PHP and the original ASP. This was technically my first Razor Pages. Mm-hmm. And I, I built a funny little app. I'm not even going to announce it here because I haven't decided if I'm going to release it. <laughs> it's kind of silly. <laughs> uh, sure, we'll talk about it if I do. But it was a great success. I think I posted on Twitter that I've never had more fun writing a web app before. And that was true because I could edit things quickly. Um, Thankfully, because they're Razor, you don't have to restart the app when you edit that template code. It just refreshes automatically. Yeah, So you get a really super fast dev cycle. Um, Even if you put JavaScript in there, the debugging tools in the web browsers aren't so bad these days if you have to suffer through that. (laughs) And then, um, I don't know, everything just worked. You know, it just had that feeling of just working. I like that. It's always a good feeling where out of the box, you're like, oh, I can deploy and this thing actually runs and I can understand what's happening. I think that uh, is mm-hmm. really powerful, to be honest with you. I think, you know, I think often I get so worried about templates and what's good for developers. And I do a lot of that in my day to day. I know. It's hard. It's hard to think about. Is it too much? Is it too little? And I've, I remember I was creating these really complex templates and Joseph came to me. He's like, no, too much. It's just too much. Is you literally, it's too much. Some people want that, but actually the majority yeah. of people, it's just too, too much to kind of go if you're coming in for the first time. So it's, it's interesting to kind of know that it works out of the box, yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think just as a high-level concept, I I really do try to keep all my code simple just because we always talk about maintenance. And if there's anything I've learned, it's that the less code I have, the easier it is to maintain. The more clever I am, the more custom frameworks I write, the worse off I am. So keep it simple, you know, hit the API directly. Well, I want to talk a little bit about that next step, which is actually taking it to making a real application, not just file new. Um, and some of the stuff that you and I both been dealing with. But let's take a quick little break here and thank our amazing sponsor this week, our good friends over at Visual Studio Live. In fact, they're celebrating 25 years as the most, one of the most respected, longstanding, independent developer conferences where you can learn about all the stuff that we literally talk here. In fact, I should go to some ASP.NET Core classes when I'm in Vegas this March. They have developer conferences all through, throughout the year, all throughout the United States. They have shows in Vegas, Austin, Boston, Redmond, Chicago, San Diego, and Orlando almost every month, to be honest with you, starting in March in Las Vegas. And I'll be there. I actually have a keynote. I'm very excited about it, um, which is pretty cool. But I'll have a lot of awesome, amazing speakers there as well. Damian Brady, Roy Cornelius, Marcel's going to be there. Uh, Brian Randell, Laurent Bonyan, Deborah Carrada is going to be there. And they talk about all different topics for the Visual Studio Microsoft developer from cloud computing, web, Visual Studio, mobile, server. They even have hands-on labs. There's a whole bunch of awesome stuff. And you can pick to go the entire week of the conference for you know before and after and the conference for hands-on type of stuff and labs or just for the core conference. And what's great here is that If you register early enough, they have great early bird specials, but we've also worked with Visual Studio Live to get all of our listeners an exclusive $500 off promotional code to any of the conferences. So if you're at work and you're looking say, hey, we got some training budget, go to a conference. There's one near you. That's for sure. You can go to vslive.com and on any of the conferences, enter coupon code MERGEConflict at checkout to get $500 off. So thank you, VS Live for sponsoring Merge Conflict. 
Thanks, VS Live. I really need to go to one of those. Yeah, I could be learned so much and we wouldn't have to discuss it because I would have learned all of it by now. But, Think of uh, all the things you could know if you went to every conference ever. <laughs> so much. Well, that's that became the next part of it, right? Because immediately I started creating this website. I have some views up and I'm like, oh man, I need to do something with this data mm. because I, I started thinking to myself, I have this RSS blog aggregator and I'm like, my goodness, how many times is someone going to be hitting my web API over and over and over again to get this RSS yeah. page? A lot. And do, should I popular. be <laughs> very popular? And how many times should I actually be going out and making all these web requests and doing the data? In fact, one of my pages on the website needs some of that data. So this ASP.NET Core, I don't know if you know, has made it super easy to do data caching and database work. Like this thing actually blew my mind. I went in and I'm like, let me look around. Can I just keep something in memory, like a memory cache? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, you know, for me to do this, this is why I created Monkey Cache over on. I was going to say, mm-hmm. is, is that what this is leading up to? You said I immediately used Monkey Cache or are you talking about the ASP.NET core like built-in memory cache that they have that is the one that i'm talking about because yeah use that um, puppy i like it it's really slick so (laughs) i was able to it's essentially it's basically monkey cache very highly specialized for asp.net core and what's amazing is i had i think you just add a nuget package to add some scaffolding to it and i just say add memory cache that's literally like in the startup code and if I go into my oh. controller over here, it is a very, very simple key value store. I just say, try get value and give it anything mm-hmm. and get anything out. And then I can add things to it and set a expiration. <laughs> so I just say, mm-hmm. hey, cache the RSS feed for an hour. And then it caches it. It was like yeah. amazing. I had data caching in literally a minute. It blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, I'm really enjoying it too. Actually, the, you just made me think of a problem or a question actually that I have with it. If anyone knows, please write in. Um, The way I wrote my code, I'm actually creating multiple caches, like I'm actually newing it up. The way they document it is you use the uh, IOC container inversion thing. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, the terms, I I can't even keep them in my head. Um, (laughs) So you'd put I whatever somewhere and it just shows up. But I don't do it that way. I just knew it up. I'm old fashioned. (laughs) And I do that multiple times. And I don't know if that's hurting things or if that's good or bad, but it seems to work fine. And yeah, it's stupid simple. Put a string in, get a string out. No, actually, it it works with objects too, doesn't it? Not just strings. It works with objects. Yeah, I just literally say, cache this entire RSS feed and it just does (laughs) it. Like literally just like, here, go. And honestly, I'm not really positive if if it matters. There's an asynchronous version, a non-asynchronous version. I'm not sure if it matters where you knew it up. I'm assuming that it uses the same cache all over the place. That's one thing I'm wondering. Yeah. One thing that I did is I had a lot of helper methods around, so I just made it so I created a generic. I have a very generic try get data and try mm-hmm. save data, and it just takes <laughs> in T and oh, um, <laughs> I just give it an iMemory cache. So it's very simplistic, yeah. and then I can pass that iMemory cache around. I am using the dependency injection, even though I don't like it. Um, so, but I was worried like you, I'm like, I don't actually know what it's going to do. So I'm going to follow the documentation. <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, I don't know what it's going to do. So I'm just going to new it up. Yeah. But I think we're, we're touching on, um, one of the bigger points, one of the heartaches I have with writing websites is data. Mm. And 
I think the the old timer in me says, well, every website has a SQL database to go with it. And SQL databases bring with them a whole nother level of maintenance and migrations and God, SQL databases, aren't they terrible? And so I think another reason that (laughs) thing that prevents me from writing websites is I hate to think about the SQL database. But if you're using a caching system in the way that you're describing there, then you probably would do fine with a key value store if you're not really indexing anything, or maybe you could even save your index in the key value store. Yeah. But I think we're getting better options for data, but it's still a real hang-up I, I run into. Yeah, it seems like they... Well, I mean, it seems like when I go to the tutorials page, there's a lot of just different types of memory concerns to think about on the web. Like, do I have a local database? Is it a memory cache? Do I need a distributed mm-hmm. data cache? Should I use Entity Framework <laughs> Core? Oh. Should I code first it, right? Like, how do I do yeah. that? I don't know. Did, so did you actually make a backing store for your website or oh, how God. are you handling it oh oh brother uh here, here we can begin long stories but i'll, I'll try to keep it short okay. i don't really like entity framework every time i try to use it i i really do i give it a chance every few years i try to use it and for some reason i just can't wrap my head around how the migration system works and there's so many generated files and i just i just don't get it i think we and just so I, think, I think we just <laughs> lost all of our listeners by the way <laughs> When you oh, I, Frank oh, doesn't like okay. Frank doesn't like EF. There goes uh, everybody. <laughs> oops, I'm sorry. Uh, EF is great. Uh, I'm sure you're all smarter than me and completely understand the migration systems. So good for you. For for us dumb people who don't understand that system, I almost said stupid system, but nope, it's a great system. I tend to use other access drivers. Sometimes I write them. Sometimes I use them. Uh, Dapper is a good one. There's lots of good ones out there. Mm. Okay. I but I hate I hate SQL. I'm trying to do everything with simple key value storage these days if I have to do data just because I hate maintaining schemas. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that uh it's quite complicated to maintain schemas and do everything. I think EF made it really simple. I mean, it's just very kind of code first. Code first was kind of the way to do it so it doesn't generate all those files. I think there's that's the thing is there's kind of two ways of doing it. There's this old like EDX file or something like that. And that's <laughs> complicated. Well, I hope we've moved beyond that. Yeah. I that was so. the old diagram system. You know, mm-hmm. the worst part is I used to love that diagram editor. I, I Part of me does love entity framework because I do love object oriented modeling and even relational modeling is fun too. And so I do love drawing all the boxes with the arrows. I, it's very satisfying to work out a problem in those terms. And I, I think I still do in my head. And so I do have a fondness for those diagrams. I just think the technology implementation wasn't for me. Well, so I think, yeah, I think I kind of got lucky and I only had to worry about memory cache. So when I start building real, mm-hmm. real, 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 real websites, I'll let everyone else handle the database that's kind of my thing yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna let dan benjamin handle the database and then i'll just integrate with well, it <laughs> isn't that truly the web right like why should i store all the data like i would never have a user account system before i would mm. store whatever stupid token or whatever i need to you know the most minimal account system and when it comes to data i think it's just smart to <laughs> source it from multiple sources and a website should just be a conglomeration of multiple data sources 
But the truth is, I also tend to, if I do have the idea that I want to make an app into a website, I do my very best to figure out a way for it to not have to store any data because yeah. I think that's just best. <laughs> yeah, I'm all about storing no data. That, in fact, that's that's mostly my my mobile applications. To be honest, like right. I kind of am, am the same thought process too, where I'm like, um, what if I just didn't store any data and I just integrate yeah. with everybody's <laughs> API? Like that makes a lot of sense to me, and I'll just cache things locally. You know, that kind of is like my or you know off. the the. The new common one is, why don't you put all your stuff in GitHub, and then I'll just point to GitHub. Then all our database has to contain is a bunch of links to GitHub, and we'll do the rest of the caching and scraping. So let them host it. Let someone else host it. Just give us links. (laughs) Just give us links. That's all you possibly need. Um, So it it sounds like you had a pretty pretty good experience, though, creating this website getting it and you're debugging it locally and that's it right you're just local yeah well local but i wanted to get the thing out Mm. and so now let's start another crazy frank story i have i love asp.net down to the core and i love mono down to the core and i used to love making linux machines (laughs) that ran asp.net on linux using mono that was i got glee that just made me happy and so uh, when .NET Core came out, I couldn't help but to keep putting it on Linux because, like, again, glee. It makes me happy. <laughs> Why wouldn't I do that? But this time around, I decided to use Azure. Ooh. And, ooh, uh, again, good job, Microsoft. It was a pretty great experience. So I did the, the Git deployment thing. I did just web app. My big complaint about Azure is there's so many options, but they have one that's called just web app. That's great. Pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then for deployment, you click GitHub. That one's pretty easy. (laughs) Give it your credentials, point at the repository, cross your fingers, it turns green, all's good to go. Uh, There are like very few docs on getting it beyond that configuration, but really just change your repo until that thing turns green and you're good to go. (laughs) Yeah. That is like the, what's that? Like the it's like it's like some magical auto deployment based on something. It's got a name. It's like called like Cuckoo or something. Oh, people are gonna laugh because I can't remember the name. But I did have to change one setting where the project I wanted it to deploy was actually in not in the root of the repository. Mm. It was in a path in it, and the docs weren't exactly that great. But basically, you set an environment variable and point it at a new thing. But that exposed the crazy project that actually does those crazy Git syncs and builds and all that stuff. Ah, uh, got it. That makes sense. Yeah. So I. So I did something a little bit different. So I am like you, Frank. I am a big fan of um, getting my local thing up into a real website, into a real internet, the real internet. (laughs) Grow up. The real internet. Now. Under attack. (laughs) I also had to learn that things work a little bit differently because on Azure, you have to like turn on WebSockets because I needed WebSockets and I need to go enable HTTPS because I need HTTPS. Right. All these little tweaks. But... Um, also in Azure, I will tell you, I went in and I did create a web app. That is correct. I did the same thing as you. <laughs> and I don't really okay. care where it lives because you could create a web app now for Linux. But what does it matter? Who even cares where it lives? It's just going to run. Right. And they have a continuous delivery preview, which essentially will scaffold out everything you need for VSTS. And I'm not going to get into VSTS too much. I know what you're thinking. Mm, are you sure? <laughs> but let me tell you why. I saw that link. Let me tell you. I saw it. Why this is awesome. So um, it will generate the entire build definition, package everything up, and it creates a release definition automatically to deploy it to Azure. But I got a little bit, I got a little bit, um, 
happy-go-lucky over here? Yes, I did. <laughs> so let me tell you how this is kind of awesome, what I did. So inside of Azure with ASP.NET websites, I created a bunch of staging slots. So you can create slots, okay? Yeah. So I have a, I saw this I have a dev <laughs> slot and I have a staging slot. Now what's cool about this mm -hmm. is that how my release management works is every single time I push anything that is not in master, that goes to dev, okay? Nice. Automatically. So every time I push any branch that's not master, it goes to dev. Hmm. Would that be like uh, last PR wins if you're doing open source? So if, if like PRs were becoming branches? You, oh, I guess, no, That I take that back because PRs aren't branches. So it would be fine. You can also decide to kick off a build based on a PR. And then you can also, I think you can filter that, but I'm not positive. Um, but yeah, you can, okay. but what you would probably do is you would have it, um, the PR go into a branch instead of into master. Yeah. So then what happens is whenever I commit to master, I deploy into staging. Okay. So mm -hmm. I can test it. So I'm like, okay, I'm good to go. And then I can manually approve swapping stage and oh. staging to production, which is an Insta swap and there's no downtime. So that's what's kind of important. And I set this all up in like five minutes. It's amazing. That's cool. Yeah, I saw all those options and uh, the deployment slots that looked uh, nice and easy. I didn't actually set one up, but that seemed like a very reasonable thing to do, especially if you have a long running website. Mm -hmm. Then I saw <laughs> the, the continuous deployment integration, whatever they called it. And oh my God, there were too many CI words there for me to comprehend. <laughs> so I, I backed out very slowly, you know, <laughs> shut the door tiptoed down the hallway walked down the street and got away from it fast yeah it's it's you know i'm kind of all into the uh into the ci cd in fact yeah, i'm gonna you're comfortable i'm gonna send it. you a photo on slack right now just of what my environment looks like for the deployment oh lordy um, oh lordy he always has these diagrams people i don't know what software he uses but he's so proud of these uh state um Ah, what am I saying? Continuous integration diagrams. Yeah. So I'm assuming this is from VSTS. This is just from VSTS, yeah. So what what you're yeah. seeing here is there's staging and then dev, and then based on where it's coming from, it deploys. So it's very simplistic. Yeah. But here's what's cool, actually, you know, is that with what you're doing today, it's literally running the same commands on your computer, which is .NET build or .NET like restore, mm -hmm. .NET build, .NET pack or whatever. And um, yeah. it, what's cool is that if you can do it on your, I, I, I take the same thing and I open it in VS for Mac and I open it in Windows and it doesn't matter where I'm coding. It just kind of works. The debugging is a little bit different, mm -hmm. but it all kind of works. And that's what kind of makes me happy so far about switching to ASP.NET yeah. Core and even with the UE stuff, it all works no matter where I'm at. Right. Like, it's kind of magical. Yeah. I'm, yeah. You, your, your staging's nice here. And I, I should say for that manual last step where you switch from staging into production, I feel like you should have a physical switch. So let's, let's hook up an API and build you like a nice big lever. You can flick. <laughs> I want a want physical lever. I think it just, right. Yeah. Something big and heavy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to take everything that you just said and kind of up at one level too. I'm trying to um, get a tiny bit into containers. I'm still not 100% containers aren't a complete fad and we've all just lost our minds. But you can't not touch the web world without running into containers at all. And I do like the premise in that um, you're guaranteed deployment, basically. If it runs on my local machine, it'll run great on the server. 
I did run into this weird thing where uh, the local Kestrel server, which is used for ASP.NET Core local testing, worked differently than IIS in its default configuration. It turned out IIS had a stricter security setting than Kestrel has, so there was actually a problem with my website when I first mm. deployed it. But if you're deploying with containers, that would never happen because, you know, the environment I'm working with on my dev machine is identical to my production. Yeah, it's kind of like you're deploying your app inside of this magical box and then that box knows exactly what it's going to run. It's the same environment. That same box works anywhere because it's a box yeah. and there's no other sources yeah. to it. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not that, it's not my life. I'm yeah. not there yet. My web game isn't that strong, yeah. but if it was my full-time gig, I would totally be getting into it, but no, mobile developer, so sticking with not containers, but I'm trying to, just trying to get my level of comfort up high enough where maybe I can do basic container stuff, just so I don't fall behind on the industry too much. Then again, hopefully it's just a fad and they go yeah. away. <laughs> I think what's also interesting too is like, wow. While we've been saying a lot of, oh, I'm running on you know, like ASP.NET Core doing all this stuff, I'm pretty sure that, yeah, since you, we just deployed to Windows, you know it's just running like the entire .NET framework, right? Like .NET 4.7, which is great. Yeah, I know. I've been so tempted to <laughs> cheat. Well, I actually do include some libraries we talked about on a previous episode where you can actually include .NET mm-hmm. libraries from, an ASP. from a .NET Core app. It just works. Thank God they made that yeah. hack work. <laughs> and so I make, I make use pretty of awesome. that. Oh, my goodness. Look at us. Look at us, web developers. Look at us. Oh, man. I, I mentioned this. I said containers. I'm so sorry. I, I'm just realizing how much I've let myself down now. But <laughs> we'll get back to mobile next week. Promise. I think it's okay. I mean, to me, I think that the, it's this has been a lot of fun for me, actually, to uh, start to learn a little bit now while i'm not building you know real production crazy so i'm building it with xamarin mm-hmm. forms ui stuff like i'm really happy because i feel like i'm building a mobile application but i'm just doing it and deploying it to the web so to me it makes my life really magical i'm using the same ci same cd the same tools that i know and love so to me it really kind of ties that entire thing together that like hey like even though we're mobile app developers all the time, we can do other stuff too. We're more we're more than a one trick, Frank and James. Well, yeah. And honestly, one of the original reasons I wanted to use uh, Monotouch Xamarin in the very beginning was I wanted to be able to share code between a web server and a native app. That was actually one of my original mm. goals was between those two worlds. So, you know, .NET developers might as well. <laughs> we can, we can do, do it. it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean. I guess before I wrap up, I mean, have you thought about that? Like, have you thought about like, hey, this thing is working really good on the web and I do want to bring that over. And have you thought about what that conversion would look like at all? Um, I do. And I think you see one of my ideas in mm-hmm. we. I mean, that's what I thought one conversion would look like. But I've also written React sites and things like that. But I should say, uh, when mixing .NET code, I do that today. The iCircuit Gallery runs a full circuit simulation on the server. On the, it's an ASP.NET server. And so it'll actually execute the exact same simulation code that the app runs mm. on your phone. Uh, honestly, so that it can render graphics nicely <laughs> because it wants the simulation results. So all that code is already running in both locations. I love that trick. Honestly, I love running code in multiple locations. Yeah, it's, my it's pretty cool. In fact, I think of 
the website that I'm creating today, like I could totally make a mobile app based off of it and then integrate like mobile features of streaming music and doing a bunch of mm-hmm. other stuff. It just is quite interesting that yeah. it, even though I'm building a website, it's like, oh, I could do all this other stuff. And in fact, I could reuse like so much of the UI and the business logic. I just had to restructure <laughs> it. I totally, I did bad developer through everything in one salute, one project. Aww. I had to just did it. Right, it. right. <laughs> you have no respect for the web. You're just like, this isn't a real platform. <laughs> I'll just I'll pretend to code. I don't have to serious that, that code. Is, that's exactly what happened. You basically caught me, <laughs> and and it's okay because it works. <laughs> I already know because I do it too. That's why I do. <laughs> you have to. I think that sometimes you're just like, I gotta do it. All right, Frank. Look at us, web develop pro web developers. I'm gonna go ahead and add this onto wow. my LinkedIn profile right now. That is I'm for gonna sure. go take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And of course, you can follow us everywhere on the internet. I am at James Montemagno. Frank is at Proclarum. The podcast is at Merge Conflict FM. You can also find us other places on the internet like Facebook. And you can subscribe on all of your favorite podcast applications out there. Whether you're using Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you left a review. That would be phenomenal. If you're using any of the other ones, just hit that subscribe button or tell a friend or just go to their device and hit the subscribe button. I think that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> you can also help support the show by becoming a patron by going to our Patreon page. You can find that at our website, mergeconflict.fm. Where in fact we have all sorts of awesome discussion. We have a Discord. I just went and I sent out a bunch of rewards, which is really fun. And the last week we had Dennis, Dan, and Yuri all sign up to become a patron. Ooh. So we cannot thank them enough and all of our patrons for supporting the show. People love us, Frank, and I love them. Ooh, thank you all. That's very generous. I love hearing those names, by the way. I love hearing you yeah. pronounce them too. Sometimes <laughs> these were this was an easy patch. <laughs> yeah, this is an easy. This is an easy one. Sometimes, well, not so much, but yeah. So it's been super fun chatting with everyone. I think it's about it, Frank. Anything else from you? Oh, we're never talking about the web again. Just kidding. No, it's never. fun. Nope, that's it. <laughs> All right, awesome. This has been another episode of Merge Conflict. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.